Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, I went to the ABC and auditioned. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I And I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to The Stages Podcast. Today I catch up with an old friend and musical theatre actor, Yvette Robinson. Yvette Robinson trained at the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts before carving an exciting career in classic and contemporary musical theatre in Australia and the UK. She played the roles of Pearl and Dinah in Starlight Express in Bochum, Germany for over a year before moving to London. In the West End, a succession of roles have garnered an impressive resume. Evita, The Woman in White, Fat Busters, and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, just to name a few. She is a dynamic performer, and in this conversation provides terrific insight to the journey that saw her leave an established career in Australia to seek further challenge and reward in the UK. She is tremendous fun, effervescent, and utterly reliable in any stage role. She is Yvette Robinson. Yvette Robinson, hello. Hello. <laughs> I, I haven't seen you for a while, so this is a bit of a thrill to catch up again. Um, you being in London and me in uh, old Sydney town. Um, I'm uh, conscious that I've caught you at your lunch lunchtime. Um, what are yeah. you eating? A bit of avo on toast. You can't go past avocado on toast, can you? Every time it's on the menu here. Do you get access to Vegemite? We used to, but it's really hard to find now. I mean, I have to, I have to beg my friends that go to Australia to bring back a big, massive t- uh, jar for me. So if anyone's coming to Australia, bring some Vegemite over, will you? Uh, sadly, I don't think anyone will be coming from Australia for a while. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, what's it been like living in London in COVID times, Yvette? It's been tough. You know, I think what's been tough is watching our industry kind of be non-existent and I think I was listening to Angelo Webby yesterday on radio too because he just uh, was meant to open Cinderella on Monday night and we've got this new thing where you've got a track and trace we've obviously lifted all restrictions of Monday but he somebody got COVID in the in the um, cast so the whole cast crew everyone has to now self-isolate for 10 days and it's just crazy because no show can run Everyone's desperately trying to get the industry back up and running, but it just can't work in these current situations. They're just going to go bust. So this is extraordinary. It just takes one person, um, back of house or front one of house, person. to to contract COVID, and um, and the whole production is shut down indefinitely. And everyone's at home feeling well, you know, because also we've a lot of most people have had double vaccines now over here. So you can do a test and you can say it's negative, you've had a double vaccine, but you still have to stay home for 10 days. It's been really hard, I think, especially for our industry. It's been heartbreaking, actually. 
um, I think on lots of levels, uh, just because as you know, and I know we, what we do, we do it because we love it and it's a part of who we are. So to have that ripped away from you and not have that kind of channel to use mentally is really tough. And, um, you know, confidence goes, everything. And just also not having that outlet, you know, not having that creativity. Um, so I think that's been really tough, but we've just all kind of got on with it. You know, you just, we're very resilient actors and performers and people in general. So I think we've just adapted as much as we can. It's creatives really need to be able to express themselves. And when that's taken away from them, it can be incredibly frustrating, incredibly painful. It can, but, you know, I decided very early on to look at it as an opportunity to learn again. So I found this incredible um, Manuel Puro. He is a casting agent and he does this incredible online 21 self-tape challenges, which you can do all over the world. You can do them in Australia and and I really decided to hone in on my acting for camera because, of course, everything's self-tape now. So um, it's really helped me, not just on a technical side, get, get my lighting and my editing down, but just to still be creative and still be doing scenes every day. And lots of casting directors would do, like, five-day workshops. So really, I feel like I've been back at Whopper for another year again with lockdown. It's been amazing. Avit, my old mate, um, I've wanted to um, to chat to you for a while because you have a really um, fascinating story because you'd had an established career in Australia, but then decided to search further afield, journey journey further afield to to seek out other stages in the world, which and you've ended up in London. What brought about the um, the journey to uh, to go to another country and and try yourself? I think. Um... It was more about me wanting to reinvent myself. I think what can be tricky is you can, in your own head, get an idea of who you are. And um, you can often put blocks as to who you are. And, you know, people tend to associate you with certain roles. And I had an opportunity to audition for um, Starlight Express in Bochum, in Germany, in Sydney. These are the days when we used to just audition and they'd sort out a visa for you and off you would go. And I got that job and moved to Germany. Adamant I'd come back to Australia, but obviously that never happened. <laughs> Other things happened. Yes. I, um, I've seen that famous production of Starlight Express uh, in Bochum in, in Germany. It's uh, been there for, gee, close to 30 years or longer, I think, um, in a yeah. purpose-built theatre, which is quite extraordinary because you've got train tracks or racing tracks around the audience, through the audience, over the audience. Um, it's absolutely incredible to uh, to witness. Uh, you obviously had to learn to, to skate to be in Starlight Express. Could, yeah. you, could you roll a skate before you um, auditioned? Well, I thought I could. Um, but I was a bit gung-ho with my skating. Michael Fraley, who's this incredible skate coach from America, did it for years. He might even still be training them, I think. And he would get very frustrated with me because it's all about your weight. And he was very technical. Well, I just go for it. And he'd be like, Yvette, how do you drive your car? And I'd be like, fast. And he's like, yeah, I thought so. So he, uh, <laughs> he to get really annoyed me because I got frustrated I just wanted to learn the show I wanted to sing I wanted to act but 
it was days and days of just drilling us with skating. It was it was a lot, but incredible as well. Once we once you got the hang of it, it was an incredible skill to have. Yeah. And did you sing in English, or you would have sung in Germany, wouldn't you? In German. I sang in German, but uh, my um, dialect coach did tell me I sang in Japanese. Um, apparently the Australians were really hard to teach um, the dialect to because we speak very closed. So um, I ended up just sounding like a Japanese Australian German, really, a little bit. <laughs> so, you, so are you, are you in language classes, or you, you're learning the the lyrics phonetically? No, you have a phonetics coach, and he literally gets the, the music, and he goes through each kind of vowel and tells you what you should be saying. Um, I did do um, German lessons. It was really hard. And you pick it up, you know, you do pick it up over the, over time. And I understood German a lot more than I could speak it. But, um, but the show itself, you just learn it word for word. So it's kind of weird, you know, obviously you're thinking in English, singing in German, skating, doing a, you know, parabore, and then racing. It's a lot. Um, you played, uh, was it Dinah and Pearl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, any? Did you stack it at any point during the show? I did, but I was very, very good at getting straight back up again, right. weirdly. Um, but I did see a very bad accident when we were doing the show, uh, our grease ball, and it was, it, it was right at the end of my contract. And when I saw what happened to him on stage, I vowed I'd never do stuff again because I really saw what can go wrong so quickly. Now when I think about it, I can't believe I did it. You know, I was skating, I was dancing, I was singing in German and trying to be a train. Um, I did get told often by the director, though, even it's not Shakespeare, because, you know, I was often trying to be, you know, very, what is the word, what does this mean? And sometimes with musicals, you just need to go, this is what it is. I'm a train. <laughs> what, what's the, what, was, what is the hardest thing about living in London? Forget about COVID times, but, you know, uh, when you've arrived... What, what was the biggest point of adjustment? I think is that you have, in our industry, you know, I was established, casting directors knew me, agents knew me. Um, it's a very small kind of pool in Australia of everyone knows everyone. So to land in a, in a country where no one knows you, you, you're starting from scratch. And I think I used some connections of casting directors for agents. So that really helped me. Um, but yeah, having to kind of start over again, weirdly, there was a part of me that absolutely loved that as well. How old were you? I was 30. I was 30, just turned 30 when I moved here. So that, that I mean, and that's, dare I say, that's reasonably old for a, a performer, isn't it? Um, because it the, the, is. your, I thought your I was... competition is all established. It is. And funnily enough, um, I had to really let my ego go when I got here because I was auditioning for things. And I, one of the first jobs I auditioned for was an original cast of a show called The Woman in White. And I didn't know it. And they were like, oh, Maria Freeman's playing the lead. I'm like, oh, who's she? And there's something, um, I know, right? There's something quite um, nice when you go into auditions and you don't know who your competition is because all you are is you and you're not in your head going, oh, but Maria Freeman's up for this. But also there's something, they don't know you at all. They can look at your CV and they go, well, that's great. But, you know, would she be interested in being a swing? 
And of course, my ego, I laughed and I said to my agent, of course, I'm not going to be a swing. But of course, that's what I took and ended up doing <laughs> originally. Um, because I think I sat myself down and went, well, you've got to start again. And that's okay. And you've got to trust the process. And if you're meant to be doing that right now, that's what you're meant to be doing. You've done a bit I mean, of understudying. It was the best decision I made, I have to say. Best decision I ever made. And what led from my swing was they also asked me to cover the lead. And then what led to that was then I also ended up being the alternate that I ended up taking it over. So, you know, you just got to trust these paths that are given to us sometimes. It put you in the room where it happened so that you could make it happen. Yes, <laughs> yes I like that, Pete. Yeah. So in Australia, you had... Um, been doing understudying though, hadn't you? You'd, you'd, you'd covered Belle in Beauty and the Beast and Ellen in Miss Saigon. I covered amazing, and you know, I got, I learned a lot from the, the women that played those roles, Sylvie Palladino, Sharon Millichit. You know, I used to watch, especially Sylvie, on the side of stage every single night I watched her and I learned so much. And that is one thing I would say to anyone that understudies, look at it as a massive opportunity to, to be better and um, to learn, really, your craft. And I was just very, very lucky and fortunate to have such talented people that I, I understudied. What's and the, Rachel Beck, of course, in Fontaine. Of course, gorgeous Rachel Beck in, in oh, as Fontaine in, in Les Mis. You got around, yeah, you, got to, the, you got to play those, you got to play those big roles, didn't you? I did, yeah. Very young age, though, you know, now I wish I could could do them all again with my experience now they'd be quite different I think what's the um, hardest thing about being an understudy for me mentally I started to question that I wasn't good enough to be the role and I think that can really get in the way um, and I think it did get in the way for me a lot I think a lot of times I, I messed it up purely because of my own disbelief in myself or I'm just an understudy and that's a very dangerous head, headspace to get into it took me a long time to get out of it. There was a lot of opportunity that I had that I should have got the roles and it was just me mentally going, no, I'm not. I'm just an understudy. So that is one thing. The second thing is I think having to be thrown on without rehearsal, you know, not having, getting that uh, connection between other actors that you find. And that that's tricky for an for a understudy it's kind of a breeze when you're playing the role because you find a way and you, you know, yeah. As a young actor, though, did, did you have an expectation that you would go on, that you should go on? Or uh, are you uh, doing what every good understudy should do? It's not my role. Uh, I'm just here as, as the backstop. Oh, every understudy dreams and can't wait for that moment that they're going to go on. It's very different in Australia because when I did shows anyway, we never took holidays. So you would have your holiday at the end, you just get your holiday pay. No one took holidays in Australia. The hardest working performers are Australians, hands down. <laughs> I can still say that. Um, but over here, you have to take your holidays. And obviously, they're very long contracts and everyone's been in the West End for five, six years. So it becomes almost like a job. So they'll be like, right, I'm going to be off for this four weeks. So here, you 100% are going to be doing shows and you can almost put it in your diary and go, that's what I'm on. But in Australia, no, it is last minute. And you do feel very lucky when you go on. It's, it's you know, and I don't think I went on much for Sylvie because, you know, everyone's so good at their craft over there too. They don't go off. 
you know, we're, well, we're incredible Australians in that way. Yeah, pretty tough. The show must go on. Um, I saw you play tough. Belle. I saw you play Belle in Beauty and the Beast, and I saw you play Alan in yeah. Miss Saigon. And my lay Miss story, I remember one day um, I'd phoned you and you were in rehearsal and you'd left the phone on. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, my God, were you saying anything naughty? No, no, no. You were horrified that you'd left the phone on. I think you got in trouble. And I didn't know you were in oh, rehearsal. Oh, I remember now. No, no, you mean I left the phone on because it was a run-through of the show, the first run-through, and everyone's sitting in that, the old Madge. Betty Pounder, was it? The Betty called? Pounder studio, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we're all sitting along and it was just silent and the mood was incredible and my phone was like... <laughs> and it was, was Petey. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> it was uh, horrifying. I bet it was. I, I bet you never did it again. Yeah, no, I did. Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> did you find that um, you were being cast, typecast as a musical theatre person? I did. Again, I want to say I think a lot of it's my own mental headspace as well. I think that I put this thing over myself, oh, I'm just a musical theatre performer. Um, and my my love was always acting and singing as a separate entity. And um, I think I just lost my confidence. I think, pe- I think I thought people were putting me in a bubble. I think they do. I think it's happening less now, uh, especially over here. It's happening a bit less, I've noticed, you know, um, my agent very much television and film as well and I'm finding it could just be my age I'm getting a lot more seeing a lot more for television and film now than I ever was um so I'm, I'm hoping it's shifting and theatre as well theatre it's shifting as well absolutely I actually think it's all what's in your head and I know for me I was worried that people were judging me you know it's all good in retrospect isn't it you look back at your young self and go you know I think my agent, Alan Wilson, was my first agent and he was very much trying to teach me that it's all about what I think and that you've got to, you know, and I just couldn't grasp that. It was too too much for me at that age. Yeah, it's a psychological game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. very much. Well, the West End is a long way from Perth in Western Australia, where you grew up. Yes. I love Perth. It's a beautiful city. It's beautiful, isn't it? got lovely memories of Perth. They're the only people not in lockdown, is that right? My mum just told me this morning. Yes, Fortress Perth. I think they're um, able to... (laughs) Most isolated city in the world has its positives. Positives indeed. Uh, What were the artistic influences um, on you as you were growing up? Were you, uh, did you go off as a little girl and study ballet? Uh, Did your parents take you to the theatre? Well, I grew up with a family of five children, and I think neither of my parents were creative. I think my dad thought he was a singer and a guitar player, but he wasn't. Uh, he tried. Um, but we're all musical. Just I don't know how. We're just all uh, musical people and in our own different ways. And I just knew at a very young age what I wanted to do, very young. And my mum really didn't want me to do it. I mean, really didn't. You know, she was like being a it's not a safe industry to be in, but I had this kind of determination and I just made it happen. I found a drama school called the WA Academy of Dance and Drama. And it was a very small school in Belcada in Perth. And I told my mum that my friends 
mum was going to take me every week, which was a lie because mum didn't have time to take me. So the first week that her mum came to pick me up, my mum went out and said, thank you so much for taking your bed every week. She said, no, I'm not taking you every week. <laughs> so I just was very savvy at, you know, I, there was no stopping me really. Um, and that academy wasn't, you know, what it had was a teacher that believed in me. And that's something that I think everybody needs. One person, just one person to go, you had something. And without her, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. She's passed away since. But um, I think now that I have a child, I see that it's so important for young children to have these people around them outside of their families that can maybe see something in them that maybe their family can't. Indeed. Indeed. You, know, you know that being a teacher yourself, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a very privileged um, position to be in. So, so who, yeah. who, as well as that lady, who, who are some of your other great teachers in, in life and, and as a performer? I think um, I have to say I started at Whopper very young and very naive and actually very uneducated. And I was with a lot of older people. And my biggest influence was my, also my nemesis, which was John Milton. Um, who straight away probably saw I had raw talents but very uneducated which I think he hated <laughs> and he made no secret he made no secret that he hated that and he sat me down the first kind of three months I was there and said you're not going to pass this course you're not going to get through you'll get kicked out within year two unless you get some help with you know um, your classes so he put me in contact with a few other students that had done, you know, a degree before. And they helped me a bit. But I had friends, like people that were in my year, that really took me under their wing. And Dennis Follington, Lisa Taylor, you know, I had these teachers in my course that were, they just shaped me. They just, and they're incredible people still today that I still keep in touch with, um, other than John Wilson, who sadly passed. But I think my teachers there were my biggest influence, 100%. So prior to going to WAPA and studying musical theatre, had you done much at school or as a member of community theatre groups? Um, at my academy, my W Academy of Dance and Drama, I did shows there. But no, I was very, um, I sang with my brother um, in a duo, which we continued through WAPA, as you would remember. Yeah. So that kind of was my bread and butter. Um, very much I sang a lot with my family, really. Um, my brother's still a jazz pianist now, he's living in Holland. But um, thank God we don't work together anymore. We would have been up for murder, I think. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think um, I think it was my dance academy. My school wasn't very, we did a couple of shows at school, but it was a very sporty school. I didn't really, um, it was outside influences 100% for me. Do you remember what you auditioned for, auditioned with for WAPA? Because you have to do yes. two contrasting songs and two yes, monologues, I think, yeah. So I will tell you that I auditioned the year before. I was very young and I was going to see this amazing opera singer training. Someone put my dancing teacher, I told her I wanted to go to WAPA. So she put me in touch with this opera singer teacher, whose daughter was an opera singer, Gloria. I can't remember her second name. And I said, I want to audition for Whopper and I really want to sing, because I was obsessed with the chorus line. I want to sing, um, oh gosh, what's the song that? Nothing from the chorus line. 
She said, absolutely not. That's not what they want to hear. You're going to do, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. And then you're going to do this other song that I've never heard of. So I learned these songs that I just didn't connect with at all. And I auditioned and I wasn't very good. And actually they sent me a response saying, come back next year, you know, maybe think about what your song choices and do something you really like. So um, the next year I, I did nothing from a chorus line and I did, oh, I can't remember my second one now. Yeah, and anyway, because obviously we did one song, didn't we, when we got in that John Milton picked to perform from our audition. And mine was nothing from a chorus line. And actually he made me start in the actor's studio. Um, I started the show with that song and he said, uh, now, now, heart, I want you to... Uh, push me out of the way when you when you finish and it'll be really funny so I said okay but he meant push really slightly obviously I, I knocked him out of the way and he hated me from that moment onwards because obviously it didn't it didn't really work so it wasn't he was funny very angry at me it wasn't <laughs> funny he looked stupid he, he literally fell on his face I thought it was good but no everyone was horrified uh, Whopper was a terrific training ground for you. you. It afforded you an opportunity to play some pretty major roles in various shows. What were the roles that you got to practice and hone your craft with when you were there? Um, we, uh, in the first year, I did company, actually, Stephen, sometime. Which, with the third years, they needed two people. So Lisa, Adam and I were cast in that, and that was incredible to be doing were that. You one of the girlfriends? Yes, I did. You could jump person crazy. Sorry, no, I was one of the could jump person crazy, and I did the orgasm dance. Right. There we go. In a in a unis hard. I think um, I think I think that's called the TikTok ballet, <laughs> not the <laughs> orgasm dance. <laughs> that's what we all called it, the orgasm dance. Right. Um, there we go. Um, I did one of my favourite shows was a, a Breck show called Nickel Under My Foot. Oh, it's a song that I did called Nickel Under My Foot. I played the Patti LuPone role. What was the show? It was a real um, kind of groundbreaking, the Cradle Rock. Cradle Rock, there we go. That was cool. Yeah. And, and that was a, a really incredible show that I just adored. I really loved doing that show. Um, and then I actually did a few with the music theatre company, didn't I? Yep. I saw your Outside um, of Ava Perron. Yeah, I got cast, Jonathan cast me as the mistress. And then I played Ava on the matinees, um, which is when I met you, yes. Yeah, of course. And a very lovely Eliza Doolittle. Yeah, that was incredible. We got to work together. That was, that was you know, what a gift of a role, hey, um, to be doing something like that in a theatre like that with the cast like that. <laughs> yeah. So you, um, if memory serves me correctly, you left Whopper in your third year to do Miss Saigon. I did. I got cast in Perth. I was in my third year. And I still remember saying to Dennis Wallington, oh, I'm going to defer. And he said, Yvette, you're never going to come back. I said, of course I am. I'm just going to do this show. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to finish my third year. And he laughed at me. <laughs> and he said, you won't. But, you know, I wish you well, but that's not going to happen. But he was really, really pushed me to, to make sure I got my bachelor. And actually, I did. I, they were incredible, Whopper, because third year is based on performance, really. They let me, um, they judged my last year on my Miss Saigon. So um, I got my bachelor in the end. 
Uh, Miss Saigon, that was the, the Australian premiere of Miss Saigon, which was, was absolutely yeah. huge in the uh, refurbished Capitol Theatre. Yeah. First time, yeah, the first show in since they'd done it up. Beautiful theatre, isn't it? Yeah, magnificent. Uh, still still glorious. Um, Come From Away is, is in there at the moment. Oh, wow. I'd love to see that in that yeah. theatre. Uh, were you in the original Australian company of Beauty and the Beast? Or did you go no, into it? No, I went in. I went into it. So Rachel Beck was in Melbourne and then it moved to Sydney. So when it moved to Sydney, I joined it with Sharon Miller Chip playing Bell and Michael Cormick. I think Michael Cormick came over with it actually from Melbourne, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah playing the beast. Do you enjoy um, the big machine of a large commercial musical? I mean, it's huge the number of people who work on on those productions to uh, to deliver performances every night i think i had a bit of a love hate thing with it i think um i got to a point i think it was jolson actually that i i was a bit burnt out with musicals and i didn't really want to do jolson it wasn't um i was really wanting to kind of just have a break from the big musical and i can't remember the director's name he did uh he came over from here and I got really frustrated. I remember in rehearsals, you know, it was stand here, do this, do that. And um, I think what I found um, doing an original cast of a musical, a big musical, the Angela Webber Woman in White, once I got there and did that, I saw them create something. And you, as an original cast, you're part of that process. And it's incredible in the room watching it happen. And Sometimes when there's these big musicals that especially come over from here to Australia, you just kind of become a number and they say, right, you're standing here, um, especially Disney, you know, you're on track number five and you're learning a track. And that can be frustrating when you've got your own ideas of what you want to do. You can have very clever directors like Matt in Miss Saigon, who was incredible where he let us do improvisation and kind of create our character but then very cleverly would end up making us do exactly what we are meant to do as the track inside in London, you know? Um, Woman in White, you're working with some extraordinary talents there in uh, Michael Crawford mm. and Michael Ball. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think Simon, uh, Michael Cormick um, went into it too, didn't he? He did, yes. He came into it. It was lovely to have directed him on by, board. Directed by Trevor Nunn. So what's it like working with those luminaries? Oh, they're incredible. Um, inspirational. Trevor's just adorable. Angela Weber, I have such incredible respect for because um, he passionately cares about this industry and every single person in it. And when he saw me, for example, in Woman in White. He was in my dressing room, making me feel like I was the only person for that role. Um, (laughs) Which of course, you know, that's his gift. He makes every person in every role feel like that, I think, Andrew. Um, But watching them with the lead roles as well create, because Michael Crawford had a big say in his role. Marina Marina Pryor, Maria Freeman, Marina Pryor. Maria Freeman had a, a big, in her role, Martin, Martin Cruz as well, you know, so um, it was just unbelievably exhilarating 
to be in a room and learn from the wall. And I learned a lot in that show. I think my level of performance really changed actually from all of them. I gained a, a confidence and a trust in what I do and to believe my own choices a lot more. Tell me about um, working in a workshop experience because you were on the ground floor with Love and Never Dies, uh, weren't you? Uh, yeah. In that cast. I assume yeah. that's, a, that, that's a period of yeah. great change um, made by the creatives uh, as you've got getting the, the show up on the floor and, and seeing what works, what doesn't. Um, how did you find the experience? I think um, what's challenging about workshops is you get thrown a lot of different music and everything changes every day and you start to not, you're not really sure whether something will really work or whether it really won't. Um, and there's definitely golden moments that you see kind of come together and it's, it's like magic hearing it in the room um, and they have some incredible actors working again though it's very creative uh, I love workshops I really love workshops because there's no pressure that you know you have to at the end be on stage with this end product it's a real even when the producers come in to watch it's a real family kind of lovely feeling and I really remember Love Never Dies. Um, I really remember the performance. You know, Grinrod afterwards just, was just so excited about that. Um, but there's also a lot, there's a lot of workshops I've done where you go, oh my gosh, this is not going to go anywhere. But you still have to invest and be passionate about it and try and find the golden nuggets, which are sometimes not there at all. <laughs> Is there a lot more competition in the West End for gigs or is it that balanced out by the fact that there are a lot more shows available that are looking to cast actors? I think there is a lot more of what you're saying. Yeah, there's a lot more roles here. I was really surprised when I got here because, you know, firstly, the calibre of talent in Australia is incredible and you would go for a role and there'd be like 10 incredible performers that could all play that role staying on their heads. Whereas over here, I think there's a lot more people are contracted to stuff. They're already busy. They're doing a show, they're doing a tour, you know, so, or they're in a long contract in town. So yeah, it's, um, there's a lot more opportunity. I do think as you get older, um, the roles get fewer in musical theatre. And I think that, you, as you get older, you go, you know what, I don't want it eight shows a week. I want it to be worth it. I don't want to do those kind of, you know, understudying and things like that. You know, you, you decide that's not for me anymore. And it, it gets, you just have to wait it out a bit more, as with any yeah. job, actually. Yeah. Well, well um, Evita Peron in Perth, that production, and Starlight Express in Germany, The Woman in White in uh, the West End, you're doing a lot of Lloyd Webber, and then Avita revisits you again in that Michael Grandage production, yeah, where you were the yeah. alternate Avita this time. I was the alternate, yes. Um, I had the lovely, oh, I've forgotten her name. Um, she was an um, Argentinian actor, wasn't she? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful girl. So authentic as well. I mean, she was a dynamite in that role. Um, that was incredible, that that production it was very special it was uh it was lovely to revisit a role at the right age you know to do Ava Peron again at an age I think I was I, I can't you know I was about 30 
three or something like that. I can't remember now. But it was a really lovely age to, to, to go in and, and know the music, although, you know, it was a little bit different here and there. But that was a really big dance show, actually. That was, I really had to up my game with my dancing. And I found it exhilarating, absolutely exhilarating. Beautiful theatre. Philip Cost, of course, was, was opposite me. And uh, I always seem to have an Australian in my cast anywhere I go. Priscilla, I had Jeremy Second, Jason Donovan. So talking of Australians, of course, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, you got to do in the West End. Mm. What was it like being in a, a homegrown musical in uh, on English soil, surrounded by, as you say, a few Australians oh. and, of course, the great Tony Sheldon as well? Yes. Oh, yes, gorgeous Tony. Oh, it was like coming home every night. It's like, oh, I've got to go into theatre. I'm just going to go home for the night. I have to say, I was probably at my happiest doing Priscilla. It was one of those shows where I felt so lucky to be doing what I was doing and I would stand on the side of stage it lifted you up that show no matter what mood you're in and we had one of those casts that just worked and um, it was such a happy lovely joyful fun show I really really miss it actually I miss Priscilla I'm sure it'll be back one day yeah I hope so you can play the mullet then just for something different um i i actually thought that you might have been one of the divas strung up high but you you played marion didn't you i played marion yes yes gone on my diva days i think the divas were incredible too you know yeah massive voices great thing Tell me about Fatbusters. What is Fatbusters? I, I must say it's probably not a show that I would uh, go down to half ticks and see what's on and I would probably avoid it. But um, <laughs> it, <laughs> Fatbusters is a very a British homegrown idea. musical. Yeah. Tell me about that. It is. Um, it is based on, um, oh gosh, it's had, there was this, apparently there was this sitcom um, and it was it's about people that want to lose weight and, they go to Fat Busters, and it, I played. It was a lovely role, actually. I was basically the running. I ran Fat Busters, but I was a fattest, really. I was a fattest, and all these incredibly overweight people would come to me to try and lose weight, and I would just bully them. It was a really fun show, and actually, that was produced by two actors that got the script written and they got funding, and we did it in Covent Garden in this incredible little theatre. And it got really, really good reviews. But then what happened was um, there's a very famous comedian, and I can't remember her name, who wrote very much the same show. And uh, I think Angelo Weber's son wrote the music. So they brought that out just after us. So it's tricky that, isn't it, when someone's written something um, that gets loads of interest. That was another kind of original production that was about to kind of get some money kind of put into it to go further and then someone else kind of picked into it with bigger names. So, yeah, unfortunate, but it still might happen. Doing yeah. um, an international tour of Mamma Mia and I Do, I Do in Vienna, chess in Norway. Do audiences differ throughout Europe? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, especially with Mamma Mia, I got a real to see what because we went all around Europe in Istanbul, Paris, Greece, everywhere. Um, 
it's quite incredible. Mamma Mia itself is, is such a universal show. Um, got to meet Benny and Bjorn actually in Sweden and they were just adorable. But that show just crosses every single culture. It doesn't matter what country you're in, everyone reacts the same to that. Vienna was incredible. That was um, a little golden nugget there doing I Do I Do um, because it was the English theatre. And Vienna's a stunning. Have you been, Pete, to Vienna? Haven't been to Vienna, no. It's on the bucket list. No, it's, you've got to go. It's got an incredible culture there, arts culture. Uh, so I got to live in Vienna for six, three months, and the English theatre is is got a real following, and it's just tiny, and it was a two-hander that. With, I had the wonderful Julian Wolford direct me, who's now head of Guildford School of Acting, actually. I just saw him last week when we were talking about it. What a beautiful show that was to do. And those kind of shows you don't really get to do in the West End because they, they're not money makers, you know, to hand up with a small band. You're not really going to make the money. But it was just a joy, a joy to do that. And very good. It was all in English, obviously, at the English theatre. Um, uh, and then chess was massive. That was with Lindsay Haightley and that. And that was bigger than Ben-Hur, that, that production. It was incredible. Um, you talk about Oh Do I Do. You know who did the original Australian production of that? Jill Perryman. Jill Perryman. It was indeed. I yes. do know. Yeah. I remember thinking that when I did it, how lucky I was to, because um, you had to age, so you start from 18, and then I ended up being 60 odd. I had to wear a wig, of course. Of course, of course, yes. Um, a role <laughs> like um, um, uh, Donna in, in Mamma Mia!, um, tell me about motherhood. Did do you feel that motherhood changed you much as a performer, in in the emotions perhaps that you were able to access, or you know, and Donna, of course, you're playing a mother in Mamma Mia. Hundred percent. How? I think people tell you. Well, I think when I was pregnant, I was like, well, I'm just gonna go back and be the same person and do the same jobs, and and I think everything shifts. It, you can't really explain it until it happens to you. It, it's the role of a lifetime. And um, you just see the world differently. So Donna is a playing a mother, being a mother and then playing a mother. It's, you're, just, you're just different. I, yeah, it's, it's quite incredible. I think the first role I played after having Leela was Marguerite in, um, yeah, in Marguerite. And... I was breastfeeding. I think she was only three months old when I did that role. The emotions were high. <laughs> but one thing, actually, they really were. One thing it does do is it changed my voice vocally. Oh. I changed. Um, it doesn't happen to everyone, but it did happen to me. And I had to find, vocally, find my place again, um, which was tricky. Uh, I think physically you change a bit, you know. Um, so I, I don't think people talk about that a lot and uh, not a lot of people it doesn't happen to everyone but it happened to me I had to uh, find my placement yeah which was tricky. Yvette do you have a favorite part of a theatre that you enjoy the most a dressing room the wings stage door oh oh the auditorium. You know I miss it when you talk about it oh I think for me it's got to be the wings and the dressing room and the changing area, you know, when you're all getting changed and the, the buzz. I love dresses. I, you know, they become your best friend, don't they, your dresser. 
I'm still friends with my dressers now. Um, and the family, just that, that family feel. Uh, have you seen Gar- Judy Garland, the uh, film with Renee Zellweger? Oh, absolutely, yes. Oh, and when she goes into her dressing room and has that moment, do you remember? I don't know if you remember yeah. it. Yeah. The Garrick, it's actually the Garrick Theatre. And I really resonated with that, that feeling that she had where, and I, I think all actors feel it, you just come home, you go into your dressing room and you're home. This is your home. Everything's okay. And it can be a pokey little corner, um, ah. <laughs> filthy, but home. Yeah. We meant to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. The dirtier, the better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, COVID times, uh, it's sort of put a halt to performing for a while. Do, do you ever see or think about a time where you won't be performing anymore and you might move into a different career? Oh, I think as actors, you know, there's there've been a lot of times when I haven't got roles and I've gone, that's it, I'm done. Um, and it's a blessing and a curse wanting to be a performer, isn't it? Because I think it, it can be mentally very challenging on our mental health, um, on our confidence. Um, but it's, it's like losing your right arm when I don't sing. You know, especially in lockdown, it's just, I just have to sing an audition song. I just have to put it on. I just have to practice it within me. Um, so, no, I want to be like Judy Dench. I want to be going. I, people say, oh, you know, when you retire, I go, I'm never going to retire. I don't want to retire ever. Just get better. Just get better. Yeah, <laughs> better. And just trust it oh, no. and, and enjoy I meant it that. and be grateful. I, I meant that very respectfully. I just meant keep, keep honing your craft. I mean, you're pretty fabulous now, Yvette Robinson. <laughs> just get better, Yvette. You've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yvette, thank you. I've, I've loved having this um, conversation also, with you. you. Know, oh, yes. We've got a bit of a lag happening with this um Oh, this been... Zoom connection. We haven't. Had, this is third time lucky, and um, we've managed to sort of scrape through without too much uh, nonsense. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say about getting better. I was going to say I also think it's important to give back, and I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm teaching a lot more now because I think, like you do, Pete, I think any performer has got something to give in what they've they've learned. So as well as wanting to still perform, I think it's also important to give as well. So what's what's the piece of advice that you give young performers uh, in the classroom? To, to, that they're just a vessel. Just, this is just a vessel, our body. It just comes through you. Don't get in the way of it. Don't judge it. Don't start thinking too much in your head. Just trust it and let it come out and enjoy it. And anyway, don't own it. It's not yours. You know, my voice isn't mine. It's just, it's just something that's coming through me. That's, that's probably my biggest advice. Um, have, you, have you enjoyed this chat? I have. Oh, I've loved it, Pete. I feel like I'm at home. Oh, well, it's nice to catch like up again. I'm having a coffee with you. <laughs> Down in Leaderville somewhere. Yeah, at the Oriole. The, ah, yes. Memories. Yes. Take care, Why? Keep safe and uh, lots of love. Yes. You too. Bye-bye, darling. Gee, that was fun. Always great to catch up with old friends. Yvette has been a buddy for many years and it is such a thrill to learn more of what she has achieved on the world musical theatre stage. A salient conversation for those younger performers thinking about journeying further afield. My guest today, Yvette Robinson.
Thanks, Why. Thanks for joining us, everyone, in this episode. You can always check out the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Eyes. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.